Let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb. Faye Whetstone was fed up. She'd had enough of her husband Gary and his nonsense. She was sick and tired of his drinking, his drug use, and his neglect of her and their two kids. He was either out working or somewhere drinking, and she wasn't going to take it anymore. The marriage was beyond repair, and she wanted out. So Faye Whetstone kicked Gary out of their house. She got a police order preventing him from coming near her or their kids. She filed for divorce, and that was the end of that. But God had a better idea. In the face of a complicated mess, God began working in Gary's heart. The breakup of his home proved to be a wake-up call for Gary. Soon after losing his family, he found Christ and surrendered his life to the Lord. And Gary set out to restore his family and reset his relationships. Gary apologized to Faye. He took responsibility for his faults and made every effort to reconcile with her. But Faye was unwilling to even consider reconciliation. I don't love you anymore, she told him over and over. And to make matters worse, Faye seemed set on not only rejecting Gary, but humiliating him as well. She took on other men as lovers. She flaunted her affairs in front of Gary and continued to insist on a divorce. It all seemed hopeless, especially when so many of Gary's friends and family members encouraged him to give up. Even church leaders would tell him to let Faye go. After all, they said, she's the one who wants out. Finally, the court issued a divorce decree, and Gary and Faye Whetstone's marriage officially ended. But even then, Gary would not give up. He believed that God wanted them to reconcile. So after the divorce was finalized, Gary kept pursuing Faye. He invited her out on dates. He went to her house to help with chores. He continued to love her even when all hope seemed gone. And gradually, Gary's love combined with God's power brought results. Faye's heart was softened, and she began to fall in love with Gary all over again. She too committed her life to the Lord, and eventually Gary and Faye Whetstone were remarried. Today, over 40 years later, Gary and Faye Whetstone are still happily married. They're the pastors of Victory Christian Fellowship, a megachurch in Delaware, USA. And in their powerful testimony of reconciliation, there's a lesson for all of us today. For no matter how deep the hurt, God can heal broken hearts. No matter how complicated things get, God can reset your relationships when you follow his path to peace. That's the message in our sermon today. We're going to discover the three steps any one of us can take to reset your relationships. But before we learn more, let us pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, we ask you to work in our hearts today. Every one of us has relationships that need to improve. Many need to be reset. So I ask you to come and teach us today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Soften our hearts and put your love inside of us. We submit to you. We resist every work of the devil that would come to deceive or disturb or distract us. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I loose the power of the Holy Spirit to work your work of righteousness in us. Heal our hearts, heal our homes. 
reconcile and reset our relationships. We ask this today in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. I invite you to take a moment and pray along with me. Just put your hand on your chest, join your faith with mine right now, and say, Lord Jesus, speak to my heart, change my life, manifest your glory in me, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Truth for Today. It's great to have you with me today as we continue our sermon series titled, 40 Days to Reset Your Life. We're on a countdown to 2022, and now we're halfway through our 40-day journey. God's been doing so much in our lives over the last few weeks as we reset our lives and release the supernatural. And as we keep going on this journey, we're getting ready for the great things God is going to do in us in the new year. Today, we're going to learn what you need to do to reset your relationships. And to help us learn the truth, we prepared sermon notes. Our notes are available free every weekend on my website, my Facebook page, and on my YouTube channel. Plus, there's a daily devotional available for you as well, so you can put the truth you learn here into practice in your everyday life. I invite you now to take out your notes and follow along with me as we discover three steps to reset your relationships. There at the top of your notes is our scripture text for today. It's the teaching of Jesus found in Matthew 5, 23 to 26. Now receive the word of the Lord. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your adversary may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your heart today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Have you ever had this happen to you? You're going about your daily routine and everything seems fine when all of a sudden something happens and you remember an offense that took place. Maybe you're at work and you see someone who hurt you. Or maybe you're out in town and you see something that reminds you of a broken relationship. And without warning, the bitterness begins to burn and the anger arises again. That's what takes place in this simple passage from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus tells us about a situation where a past hurt or a broken relationship suddenly comes into focus. It may have been years ago or it may have been yesterday. But Jesus knows that when you don't deal with broken relationships, they will always come back to deal with you. So in his grace, he gives us all three simple steps we need to reset relationships. And in this passage, Jesus is speaking to every one of us today. For no matter who you are, the fact is we're all going to have times when we have problems getting along with other people. You may be a nice person. You may be very friendly, but you will still face relationships that need to be reset. But the fact is relationships are complicated because people are complicated. The world is full of complicated people. 
Every one of us faces the challenge of dealing with these kinds of people. We all know people who are difficult to get along with. There may be someone at your working place or in your family or at school that is just a difficult person to get along with. He may be smart and educated and handsome. He may even be successful. But in terms of relationships or friendships, these people are complicated because we find it complicated to get along with them. In fact, listen to what God says in Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? In fact, you'd have to leave this world in order to be free from bad people. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.10, you would have to leave the world to get away from all the people who sin sexually or who are greedy and cheat each other and who worship idols. So what do you do when you're surrounded with difficult people? What do you do about conflicts that seem to be beyond solution? How do you find peace in a relationship that needs to be reset? In today's scripture text, Jesus gives us three steps to reset those relationships. And here's your first step today. Stop. Everybody say, stop. See, the first thing Jesus tells us to do when we have a broken relationship is to stop whatever else we're doing and make it right. No matter how busy you are, no matter how important your task, stop what you're doing and give priority to restoring the broken relationship. That's why Jesus says, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. In other words, even if you're going to worship, even if you're about to serve God or to pray or to make an offering, stop. Give priority to healing relationships. Now, if you were a Jew living in Israel during Jesus' time on earth, this would have been a shocking statement for Jesus to make. You see, it was no small thing to bring a sacrifice to God. Bringing a sacrifice to God was the highlight of the year for many Jews. It was something they looked forward to and planned for months in advance. And not only that, but there was only one place you could offer your sacrifice in those days, and that was the temple in Jerusalem. If you lived in northern Israel or up in the mountains, it required a lot of effort to get ready and get to the temple. It could take you a week just to travel there. And if you were bringing a big sacrifice like a cow or a goat, it was no small feat to get to the temple and get it ready. Remember, there were no trucks no throw-throws and no cars to help you carry your load. And not only that, but because of the distance and the effort involved, people usually only brought their sacrifices once a year. This wasn't something you did every week. There was a lot of preparation and planning and a time and effort that went into bringing a sacrifice to the temple. Imagine making all that effort. You plan months in advance. You spend months preparing, spend days traveling, and you get to the temple. There's a big crowd, and you have to wait your turn in the queue. And then they call your name, and you lug your big sacrifice right up to the altar. And you're just about to seal the deal and give it to God and get it done. And suddenly, you remember that broken relationship back in the village. You think of that difficult person and the argument you had. You feel the bitterness burn, and your anger arises, and Jesus says at that moment, stop. Leave your sacrifice there, and go home and be reconciled. No matter how far, no matter how difficult, stop offering your sacrifice and go reconciled. 
And here's what that means for all of us today. There is no substitute for relationship. In other words, religious activities can never take the place of right relationships. Your relationship with God cannot move forward when your relationship with others isn't right. You can't love God and serve God when there's something wrong between you and someone else. All your religious service, all your acts of righteousness, all your prayers, all your offerings, all your effort to please God mean nothing if you don't love others. That's why God tells us in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The evidence of your relationship with God is not your religious works, but your love for others. For relationship trumps religion. This reminds me of the time once when a wealthy businessman who lived right here in Accra where I live, even though he attended church every Sunday, he was known as a ruthless, unethical, and dishonest man. One day, he remarked to his pastor that he wanted to visit the Holy Land. But this man was so arrogant and vain. He wanted to make sure that he had a spiritual experience that no one else had ever had. Others had gone from his hometown to be baptized in the Jordan River. Some had gone and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. But this man had never heard of anyone climbing Mount Sinai and reading the Ten Commandments out loud. So that's what he decided he would do. He was sure this would bring a new spiritual blessing on his life that no one else in the world had ever experienced. So the man informed the pastor that he was going to climb to the top of Mount Sinai where Moses received the Ten Commandments from God and then he would read the Ten Commandments out loud. The pastor looked at the rich man for a moment and then said, I have a better idea. Instead of climbing Mount Sinai to read the Ten Commandments out loud, why don't you stay home and obey them? Tell your neighbor he's talking about you. 1 John 4, 20 and 21 says, If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Above all else, love. And love requires a relationship. There's no substitute for relationship. It's no wonder that some marriages are struggling. You live separate lives. You work in different cities. You travel at different times. You have a marriage license, but not a marriage relationship. And even when you're home, you spend more time on your phone texting and watching videos than you do with your spouse. It's no wonder some children are growing up unruly and rude. When the dad is in Dubai and the mom is in Mumbai, we live in a generation of virtual orphans. Listen to me well. Sending money from abroad doesn't replace your presence in the home. Buying gifts doesn't replace conversation face-to-face. -face. Get off your phone and talk to your family. Do you want to know why your son is acting up and misbehaving? He's simply crying out to you for attention. When he's quiet and well-behaved, you ignore him. 
So he starts to break things and hit his sister and create havoc just so you'll look at him. He would rather you yell at him than ignore him. And here's what Jesus is teaching us. Relationship trumps religion. If you want to please God, focus on relationships. If you want to serve God, love others. God is more concerned with your relationships and less concerned with your religious acts. But sadly today, we're more concerned about our religious acts and less concerned about our relationships. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8 and 9, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And we need to stop giving God what he doesn't want and start giving God what he does want. He doesn't want the tithe from your blood money. He doesn't want your prayers for your enemies to die. He doesn't want your prophesying, cursing other people. He wants you to love other people. To every prophet who curses other people, even if you have a prophetic gift, leave your gift at the altar and make things right with other people. Stop cursing your competitors and start loving. To every businessman or businesswoman who cheats, lies, and steals, leave your seed offering on the altar and start treating your employees right. To every woman who neglects her elderly mother. Stop running to prayer camps and start caring for your mom. That's why Jesus said in Luke 6, 35 to 36, I'm telling you to love your enemies and do good to them. Lend to people without expecting to get anything back. If you do this, you will have a great reward. You will be children of the Most High God. Yes, because God is good even to the people who are full of sin and not thankful. Give love and mercy the same as your Father gives love and mercy. So today, here's your first action point to reset your relationships. Stop. Ask yourself, are relationships a priority in my life? Am I devoted to loving other people? And that brings us to our second step today. Go. Everybody say, go. See, first Jesus tells us to stop acting religious and start prioritizing relationships. And then he says, go and be reconciled to that person. In other words, when you make loving people a priority, you will do whatever you can to live at peace with other people. That's why Hebrews 12, 14 to 15 commands us, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Hear the word of the Lord. You have to get up and go. You have to make every effort. It means you will stop at nothing to reconcile with others. You will be a peacemaker above all else. And notice what else this passage tells us to do. It says that you should see to it that there is no bitterness, not just in your heart, but in the hearts of others as well. It's our duty as Christians to guard against bitterness, not only in our hearts, but in the hearts of those around us. And that means we must live in such a way that we do not cause others to be bitter against us. That means today you need to ask yourself, have I contributed to someone else being bitter? Is there anything I've done 
to make someone else bitter? See, before you try to reset a relationship, first examine yourself. Ask yourself, where have I gone wrong? Does anyone have a cause or a reason to be angry with me? That's why Jesus said in Luke 6, 41 to 43, And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So here's what Jesus is telling us. Examine yourself. Deal with your sin. Get rid of your wrong. For there is no substitution for repentance. See, to get to the place where we can reset our relationships to love, we have to get past our own guilt. Guilt is the barrier to love. And to overcome your guilt, you have to ask yourself, what part did I play in this conflict? Even if it's just 10% or 5%, you've got to deal with your part. What part depends on on you. You may be angry with your father and say he was a miserable dad. He may have wronged you, but are you without sin? Did you honor him and respect him? Deal with your sin and take the log out of your own eye. Your husband may have insulted you, but are you without offense? Did you insult him first? Deal with your sin. Take the log out of your own eye. Your best friend may have turned her back on you, but you gossiped about her. Deal with your sin. Take the log out of your own eye. Before you can reconcile and reset the relationship, you have to accept the responsibility for your role in the problem. And there is no substitute for going to the offended party, apologizing and asking for forgiveness. Sadly, oftentimes, when we realize we've been wrong and we've got a role in the broken relationship, we try other ways and means to mend the hurt. We try to make it up to the person we offended without actually acknowledging the offense. We try to divert attention away from ourselves and onto others by blaming other people. We try to excuse our actions. We look for ways to overcome the guilt of our wrongdoing, but the simplest thing is to simply confess, I was wrong, forgive me. And that's why you can't reconcile with a half-hearted confession. Don't say, if I did anything. What do you mean if? Either you did wrong or you didn't. Either you had a part to play in the offense or you didn't. Don't ever say, if I did anything. And don't say, I'm sorry, you think I wronged you. I'm sorry, you feel offended. For Proverbs 28, 13 tells us, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you today. The cost of concealment is always greater than the cost of confession. You may be listening or watching today and you feel like, if I confess what I've done, that person will never forgive me. But the cost of concealing means the sin stays inside of you. And when you confess, you open up the heavens for God to show you mercy. That's the lesson we can learn from the siblings, Paul and Mary. One day, Paul and Mary were playing at home when Paul accidentally broke his mother's favorite glass dish. It was a gift from her late father, and it was so special to her. Well, Paul felt horrible. He was so afraid of what his mother would say and do. He didn't think he could confess. He had to find a way to cover up. He quickly swept up the pieces of broken glass and begged his sister Mary not to tell mother. Well, Mary agreed, 
But from that time on, Mary had power over Paul. If Mary was given a chore, she would tell Paul to do it for her instead. Remember the glass dish, she would whisper to him. If she was supposed to clean the kitchen, she would make Paul do it. If she was told to go to the market, she made Paul do it. If her dad gave them sweets, she made Paul give her his. Anything Mary was supposed to do, she made Paul do it for her. Remember the glass dish, she would whisper to him. Finally, Paul could stand it no longer. He went to his mother and knelt down and begged. He confessed her, I'm the one. I broke the dish. Then his mother said, I knew all along it was you that broke the glass dish. I was only waiting to see how long you would allow Mary to torment you. When you refuse to confess, you give the devil a foothold in your life. He can torment you with guilt. He can complicate relationships and cause conflict to simmer. And here's the danger when we refuse to deal with our own guilt. Little things add up. If you don't attend to the small conflicts now, they'll build up and become big. If you refuse to acknowledge inner hurt now, you try to bottle things up, you risk losing the relationship permanently. Right now I'm speaking to someone that there's little irritation growing in your marriage. There's little irritation growing in your family. There's little bitterness, little grudges. You've started to be cold to one another. Deal with those things now. Go and reconcile. Stop whatever you're doing and go make it right. Because if you don't, those things will build and become something that separates you. That's the lesson we can learn from the tragic but true story of the famous American actress, Natasha Richardson. On March 16, 2009, Natasha Richardson was involved in a skiing accident while on holiday in Canada. She fell down and hit her head, and an ambulance was called. But when Natasha was able to get up and walk and talk normally, everyone breathed a sigh of relief. I'm okay, she said, I'm okay. There was no visible wound. She wasn't bleeding. So the ambulance was sent away, and Natasha returned to her hotel room. But a few hours later, Natasha complained of a headache. She was sent to the hospital this time, and suddenly her condition became critical. On March 18th, Natasha Richardson died from her head injury. See, you could not see the injury. The blow she received had caused bleeding in the brain. Doctors later said that if they had known how serious she was wounded, they could have saved her life. If they had tended to the internal wound when it was small, it would not have cost her her life. And that's how it is with relationships. When you allow internal irritations to build, they become bitterness. And when you allow bitterness to brew, it destroys relationships. So stop, go to the person, and reconcile. Don't delay. That's why Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And here's what you need to understand today. Confession is the ceiling on your healing. The more completely you confess, the more completely God heals you.
if you will confessfully and turn it over to God, you'll receive healing. You'll be free from guilt and shame. You will walk free and you'll be able to free others. For Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And remember, the apostle Paul who wrote these words had reasons to feel condemned. He had killed family members of the people he was now preaching to. He had persecuted the loved ones in the churches he was now leading, but he was able to reconcile with people who could have hated him because he owned up to the truth about himself and let Jesus take over. For those willing to confess their faults and give their sin to God and come to Jesus will stand uncondemned before God and others. So here's your second action point to reset your relationships. Go and make peace with others. When you own up to your own shortcomings, it helps you to let go of other people's shortcomings. When you confess and repent of your part and receive freedom and forgiveness in Christ, it enables you to give what you've received. When your condemnation is gone, you can release others from condemnation too. And that brings us to our third truth to reset relationships. Let go. Everybody say, let go. Jesus gives us the final step to reset relationships when he directs us to let go of our offenses and make peace with our adversaries. He commands us, settle your differences quickly, for the fact is there's no substitute for reconciliation. See, when you seek revenge, you try to take the place of God. Romans 12, 19 says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. And when you seek revenge, you become the lawbreaker. When you insist on judgment and holding people to an offense, you have become the criminal. You're the rebel. You're the guilty one. So don't take God's place and do what only he can do. You're not God. Leave it to God and forgive and be free. Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, 12 and 14 to 15, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The only way to be free is to free others. The only way to be released is to release others. The only way for you to avoid judgment is to avoid judgment of others. For again, in Luke 6, 37, Jesus said, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. That's our third action point. In order to reset your relationships, you have to let go of all hurt and bitterness. Forgive and be free. That's the lesson we can all learn from the amazing true story of American missionaries Don and Carol Richardson. In 1962, Don and Carol Richardson went to the nation of New Guinea to become missionaries to the Sawi people. It was one of the most difficult assignments any missionary could have. The Sawi people still lived in relative isolation. They were head-hunting cannibals. They fought with one another and killed each other mercilessly. Their culture could not be more different from that of Don and Carol Richardson. 
And yet, this missionary couple made every effort to share Christ with them. In fact, two rival Sawi clans, fascinated by the Richardsons, moved their villages right around the missionary's jungle home. But Don became frustrated by his inability to find a point of contact by which he could share the gospel with these people. He was discouraged by the 14 violent battles he'd already counted right outside his front door now that the two clans lived side by side. And eventually, Don and Carol Richardson decided to leave. But when they announced their departure, the Sawi response surprised them. If you'll stay, we promise we'll make peace in the morning. The next morning, Don and Carol Richardson awoke to see the most amazing ritual they had ever witnessed. The two clans were lined up outside their houses on either side of the clearing. Finally, one man dashed into his hut, grabbed his newborn baby boy, and began to run across the meadow towards the other tribe. His expression betrayed absolute anger and agony. His wife ran after him, screaming and begging him to give the baby back to her. But her husband wouldn't stop. He ran over to the other tribe and presented the baby boy to them. Plead the peace child for me, he said. I give you my son and I give you my name. Moments later, someone from the other tribe performed the same agonizing sacrifice with the same intensity and passion. You see, the custom of the Sawi people was that as long as there was a child from one side living amongst the others, the two tribes were bound to peace. If one of those children died, then literally all hell would break loose. Cannibalism, murder, civil war would take place. And the Sawi people believed that when two tribes were at war, then peace could come when a peace child came. They believed that to settle the war in, reset relationship, three things had to happen. The tribes needed to stop whatever they were doing and attend to peace. One man from each tribe had to go to the other side and reach out to bring reconciliation. And each tribe had to let go of something precious and valuable, a son. Each tribe had to give up something special and valuable to their side. That's what God did for us. God sent his son, Jesus, to bring peace on earth. He stopped eternity and entered time to become our Prince of Peace. His heavenly Father said, go, and Jesus came to bring peace on earth. And even though we had sinned greatly against him, Jesus let go and gave us forgiveness. After the two tribes made peace, Don Richardson preached Christ the peace child to the Sawi people. He told of how God had sent his son Jesus to be our peace child. He told of how as long as Jesus lived in us, we could have peace with God and peace with others. Eventually, multitudes of Sawi people became followers of Christ. Several years later on, on Christmas Day, hundreds of Sawi from every clan, clans that had warred and killed each other for many years, they all gathered together for a great feast for the first time. A Sawi preacher stood up and read in his own language a scripture that few people in the history of the world have ever understood as clearly as the Sawi people understood. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. 
and the government shall be upon his shoulders and he shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace a celebration was held salvation had come peace filled the land of the Sawis because of Jesus and what Jesus did for the Sawi tribe, he wants to do for you. Jesus wants to bring peace to you and to every relationship in your life. So stop singing about God's love and start loving others. Stop praying for judgment on your enemies and start loving them instead. Stop trying to appease God with your seed offering and start loving one another. Stop emphasizing external actions and start practicing love. Stop giving God what he doesn't want and start giving God what he does want. He wants his children to love one another. Jesus pursued peace when he left heaven and came to live among us and bring us peace. So go and pursue peace. Go to those you've offended. Go to those you've wronged. If Jesus could come all the way from heaven to live on earth to bring peace, you can go across the room, across the compound to reconcile with someone you've wounded. God has forgiven all your sins, though they are many, and sacrificed his son so that you could be free. So let go of the offense. Let go of the bitterness. Let go of what everybody else did. Let go of the anger and the pain. Forgive and be free. For Jesus Christ is the peace child. He came to bring reconciliation. So stop. Go. Let go. And reset your relationships. Father, I pray right now that your spirit of grace will fill our hearts. Every one of us who's been wronged, every one of us who's offended, Lord, move in our hearts and soften our hearts. Let us stop every other activity. Let us go in your name to bring peace and reset relationships. Let us let go of the offense. Where we've been wronged, help us to confess. Where we've done wrong, help us to confess and admit it, Lord. Help us to ask for forgiveness. Let us stand before you uncondemned as we refuse to condemn others. Let us receive your forgiveness as we forgive others. Show us your mercy as we show mercy to others. Help us today as we prepare for Christmas and the new year. Help us to reset our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House, New Testament Church in East Avon. If you are ever in Accra, we would like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6 p.m. or on Sunday at 7.30, 9.30 or 11.30 a.m. You will have an awesome experience. We're here all day.